everyone, and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Bad In Podcast, a podcast about video games. I am your host, Kyle Cookstell, joined as always by Joshua Calixto himself, once the most notable Hearthstone journalist, then the most notable K-pop journalist, and now the most notable co-host of Bad In Podcast. How are you doing, Josh? Pretty good. How are you? How does it feel to have your Hearthstone days behind you? You like look back on that like an old relationship. You're like, man, that sure was a time. Huh. I mean, it's like interesting to look back on and be like, dang, it was like wild that I was in that world. I feel like I met a lot of cool people through it. It's just one of those things where it's like, how do you stick with a game for so long? You know, like there's so many people who they spend like seven or eight years playing like League of Legends and then they're like yeah. just burnt out on the end. And like, I only, you know, I spent like, I actually played Hearthstone and watched Hearthstone every day for like five or six years. Yeah. So um, I didn't burn out. I was just like kind of reached a lull in my reporting on it. And then I was just like, you know what? Let's let's just chill out on the game. And now I like still enjoy it. I still play it from time to time, but it's not like something that I'm like playing every single day of my life. Yeah. But not every game has to be that. And I feel like if you've done it for five years, what, what else can anybody ask of you? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess when you quit, you quit before they did Battlegrounds, right? Um, no, no, I played quite a bit of Battlegrounds, okay, but I wasn't like reporting on it as much. Gotcha. Some some Josh lore for all you uh, recent new Baden listeners. Um, yeah, today we have an episode of talking about games and talking about talking about games, um, as we typically do on this podcast. You want to talk about Dave? <sighs> We could talk about Dave, um, but we got, okay, so the games that we will probably be talking about today, I don't, I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but we got Halls of Torment. Bam. We got Dave the Diver. Bam, bam. Um, we got Wild Frost, Fantasy Life. Bam, bam. And Exo, Exo Primal. Bam, bam, bam. And yeah. I want to talk about Diablo 4. Ba, 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 ba. And Diablo bam. 4. Okay. Which is the last episode, but. Well, I want to talk about what people are talking about Diablo 4, but. Okay. Uh, I mean, let's start with, start with Dave. Josh, tell us about what Dave the Diver is, who he is, the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah. What's going on? So Dave the Diver is a an underwater farming game where you uh, farm and explore the depths of the ocean, which changes every day in a very roguelike, procedurally generated fashion. And uh, you bring back your haul to a sushi restaurant that you are trying to run, which then operates as sort of like an overcooked slash cook, serve, delicious restaurant simulator. And then there's a bunch of other like kind of collection mini ding, games. Ding, ding. I'm going to sound the loop bell. Sounds like we got ourselves a little game. loop. It's a gameplay loop for we sure. Got a gameplay loop happening. All right. It's loops <laughs> on loops with mini games. Um, it feels like a mini game. Or it feels like if a phone game turned into, you know, a sentient life form and became like an actual video game that didn't re didn't like <laughs> rely on microtransactions, basically. They're um, like, what if we charged money for the game up front? <laughs> what could that do? You know, what could we yeah. do with that? What if we made a phone game not on the phone? <laughs> What if we took a yeah mobile game and put it on some other platform, like a bigger <laughs> screen? What could we do there? But there's a lot of really interesting, I oh, guess, so it's uh, Also, we're results. saying, the reason we're talking about this too is that this game is tearing up Steam. It's got like 60,000 very positive reviews. It's like, I think, I think I saw it like outsold Fortnite for like a week or something. Whatever that means. It was definitely the sleeper hit flavor of the month steam chart topper and um i i think it's one of those games that just like surprises you with how i the way i've described this is that it's like a cozy game for dudes mm -hmm. <laughs> where the vibe is very like laid back kind of kind of got like a masculinity to it uh not that you have to be a dude to like get it or have fun with it but it's got that like you know kind of darker uh theming uh it's not as like twee as a lot of other cozy games it should be noted that this is from i forgot what the studio is called 
yeah, but so it's the, basically we can, talk, well, we can talk about that in a second but yeah yeah but yeah i was really enjoying it i'm really liking oh. the loops and whatnot I was going to say too, another notable thing about this is that it's got this sort of like pixel art indie game style. Yes. It looks, but it looks sort of like not shit. It's not bad indie pixel art or whatever, but it's like, it's, it, it's got like a mobile game pixel art vibe for sure. It reminds you of like a bit trip runner, like the, all the bit trip kind of games. And then maybe like uh sword and sorcery EP super brothers. But not that artistic. It's, I think more like Tiny Tower or like some of like the mobile. mobile I think it's stuff. like a it's a brow higher than that than but Tiny not Tower. Like sword and sorcery, not even close to that. Uh, that okay, maybe like not. every every frame is a painting in that game. <laughs> I, there's something about the style that works for me. I don't know what it is. It feels very gamey. I think is what's really appealing about it. It doesn't feel like it's trying to not be a game. Yeah, and it's very, it doesn't take itself too seriously and not in like a postmodern sense. It's just like really laid back. It feels like you're on an island working on it at a sushi restaurant. Uh, and that's like what it's trying to evoke and it does it really well. So I think like that's the cozy space it's trying to put you into. And I think it succeeds at that. Also, I think like there's a coolness about it that a lot of other games don't have, like especially in the indie world. To me, a lot of the like indie pixel art stuff it doesn't really like connect with me it doesn't really feel cool but this game feels cool at times um there's mm. some games where it's like there's some moments where it's doing too much and i'm just like i don't i don't really know about what's happening here but other times i'm like this is sick like this is really really dope particularly with the sushi restaurant stuff i saw some like video of it where it looked like you were like cutting up fish like cooking mama style yeah which looked pretty fun yeah. So the buried lead for this game that you sort of alluded to that I maybe uh, uh, cut you off too abruptly for is that this is actually not an indie game. So this is David Diver is a really interesting thing because it is a game that is actually by Nexon. Nexon, if you don't know, Josh or dear listeners, is a like giant Korean games company. It's sort of like Korean Blizzard. Uh, and they like make huge video games, notably like they were one of the sort of pioneers of a lot of the kind of insane cash shop stuff on mobile. Maple and Story, by the way, Maple Story is the game. Yeah, I mean, Maple, only Maple Story is like one of them, but they do a lot of, I think they do like lineage now and they do like a lot of other sort of giant, I mean, like they kind of like made Korean MMOs as a genre be a thing. And right. so they're very good at designing kind of like compulsive loops and monetizing them. Um, and Dave the Diver is a project by an internal division of Nexon that's called like, I was just looking at it. Um, something Rocket or something like that. Mini Mint Rocket. Um, so they're like, just it's just Nexon. So this is effectively a uh, AAA video game <laughs> disguised as an indie game. Which I think is really interesting because it's like no, I mean, I, I'm going to say this and someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, but I'm trying to think and I'm like, I don't think there's another instance of like Activision or Ubisoft or like any large American games publisher, like making what looks like an indie game. Like all the what? games you mentioned were like small indie stuff. The one that comes to mind for me, and it's not really a direct parallel, is Riot with the Riot Forge stuff. And like, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good parallel to what I think is happening here. They had the like the Battle Chasers Night War game that sure. made their like their turn based RPG for them. Uh, they had like a rhythm game with one of the characters in one of their games. It it like has notes of that, even though it's not really a one to one. Yeah. Um, I brought up the website of Mint Rocket here because it's like, it's really interesting to me what this site like says. So they're about We're just Mint some Rocket. guys making games. Our relentless focus is on the enjoyment of the gameplay. There are hundreds of things to consider when creating a game. However, the single most important thing is the fun. We boldly put aside old conventions once considered the standards of success and decided to stick tenaciously to focusing on the fun of a game. We believe the answer lies within the heart of the gamers who just enjoy games. What is the essence of fun that gamers are really looking for? We are constantly asking questions, exploring, and searching for the right answers. So we will do all we can to provide an immersive experience into a game that is really worth playing. Yeah. And yeah, their sure. answer was <laughs> to make a 
cozy game where you play as a diver named Dave with lots of kind of fat phobia in it. Yeah, the fat phobia thing is a whole that's a whole different uh, discussion. There's stuff going on with that. There's yeah. stuff going on there. Um, but yeah, so like this is a triple A video game. <laughs> and this it's funny because we we talked about I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast. We've definitely talked about it on the Discord with this thing with like shit aesthetics. Um thinking of like Slay the Spire, uh Vampire Survivors. Um there's another one. But basically games that like look bad. Um, but there's like I I th- my sort of theory is that there's something that is unpretentious about a game that looks bad that has a way of feeling earnest in a way where a lot of the way games are marketed are trying to manufacture earnesty such that if your game looks like shit, it's like, it's hard to say that that game is not being earnest. Like no one purposely makes their game look bad until now, maybe, but like it's, it's, a, it's a sort of thing where like there's something about Nexon is smart to say that like we can make a game that looks like this that like is not like the, the aesthetic is also not uniform, right? Like there's a way to do a pixel art game that, I mean, speaking from ex- literal experience, we're like, there's sort of all the pixels are the same size and stuff, but like you look at screenshots of like Dave, the diver and it's like, Oh, like the bloom levels are too high in certain areas. Like they're, they're able to manufacture this like feeling of sort of amateurness in certain ways that makes the game, I think feel approachable. And then it belies the underlying depth AKA budget that this game actually has behind it. And so it feels sort of like a deal and like a, almost like a, a game that you want to tell people by word of mouth. Cause you're like, yo, there's this indie game where like eventually you end up in like a mermaid castle at the bottom of the ocean to like do this stuff. Like you wouldn't believe it, you know, just looking at it. And I think there's like something there that they've like really kind of latched onto as a compelling way to attract people to this game. Uh, which I think is, interesting right it's like this it, it david diver really represents triple a sort of acknowledging indie in a specific way i mean it's very similar i think to like what built like what sort of pushed ubisoft to make something like life is strange which is you know sort of non-traditional triple a style video game i think it's a similar impulse here where it's like oh there's like stuff going on people keep buying pixel arty kind of jank looking video games because the gameplay is good so they can say like, well, we'll spend more money on developing more content and kind of amortize that through like lower aesthetic fidelity as a way to, you know, make people interested in our game. Cause like if, if Nexon starts like an R and D studio and they put out a game that like looks Nexon level quality, people are going to like call their bluff immediately okay. and be like, that's so not a thing. So a couple of things, I, it connects with our conversation that we were having last episode about like, what if EA made battle bit? Um, yeah, <laughs> like could EA ever make battle bit? Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think that like they could like under this model that Nexon's doing with this sort of internal studio that makes a game that looks kind of like ass, like EA could totally make battle bit like this. Okay. But I also want to ask that is, it's a decision, right? And I, for, for, for all that we're talking about here, where they might be trying to like ape this low budget earnestness mm-hmm. aren't they also just like straight kind of saving money by making that decision to make the game oh, totally look like so if we've talked for a long time about like this model of like focusing on the graphics and like putting so much time into the development of you know xyz is not sustainable because it's like way too expensive to have this these people working on this these kind of assets etc cetera, etc cetera. um is does this signal that like change of like we're going to prioritize going toward a you know gameplay focused design approach as opposed to like worrying at all about the graphics um because because the the site says we want the game to be fun and you know everything else is kind of second fiddle right i think i mean i don't think it's totally mutually exclusive because i'm like i'm looking at a video i don't know if it was you got something up I guess you can sort of see it a little bit in your video. I'm just watching a video also on my own screen. Like there's this fish that is like a 3d animation rigged fish. Mm -hmm. And it is like a totally different style than Dave, who is like flat 2d pixel art. Right. And like that disconnect doesn't really make sense because you're sort of saying like, well, not you, the game is saying, okay, we're spending time and money to do 3d assets. 
for fish that look incongruous with like the key art and the main character. There's and, and then even like the backgrounds and stuff are their own different aesthetic. They're like kind of blocky pixel art textured 3d model stuff, which is like weird. So I think that like you, you can, but I, but I think the other thing is that like you can have both, like you could do a really pretty video game that has like kind of, it prioritizes fun. Like, I think that's like possible. Um, I think that it's a, I don't know. I think it's just a matter of actually wanting to do that as like a first principle thing. And I don't necessarily think that it's either or with like the fidelity of the game. Like it does, like if you imagine that like photo real triple a video game costs 100% of money, it's not like saying we want to focus on gameplay and now the game costs 50% money. It's right. like maybe it's like 95% or something because you have to like hire designers and whatever and play test. But like people already do that anyways. Like I don't think someone like, I don't know, Naughty Dog thinks they're putting out an unfun video game, even though their games are like not as like gamey as like Dave the Diver or whatever. It does feel like a downsizing of the single player RPG experience at, from the AAA angle, which... I kind of appreciate and for what it's worth. Like, I think the game works. Like I I think a lot of the parts just click. Although if you are irked by mobile game aesthetics and incentive systems, this one might not be, uh, (laughs) it might not be the one that you're going to enjoy very much. Yeah. It's like a single player RPG that sort of works through intertwined mobile gamey type game loop stuff. And that's like think, a, that's been a big theme that I've been seeing with a lot of the games that I've been playing where it's like, oh, the loop is so great. And it's like, I, I feel like we're entering a very loop-oriented era right now, which, I mean, when haven't we been? Era, we been? When yeah. haven't we been? But at the same time, like, I feel like there's going to be a backlash against that at some point because, bro, the loop, I'm kind of getting exhausted of the loop, even though I, I have historically loved the loop, you know? <laughs> That's, I think that was the discussion on the discord as well as about this game was that like the loop was just too obvious. Like games have always had gameplay loops. That's not like a novel concept, but it's more that like the, the, as the loop gets more and more foregrounded and point to sort of quickly sell a game to say like, there's, I mean, there's more games than ever, so it's hard to make stuff stand out. So things need to be legible really quickly. So if you have something that's really legible, you can kind of say like, okay, oh, I'm doing this thing. Because also, like, the description of Dave the Diver is total bullshit for what's actually in the game. It's like, oh, you run a shop and, you know, do your do your diving stuff. But if you go, go, like, look at part 25 of a playthrough and you're literally at, like, a you're in Atlantis, like, talking to the king about, like, the history. It's, a, it's like there's a whole other game here. Yeah. But they have to kind of appear to not have that because, again, they're trying to, like, yeah. There, it should also be noted that there's, like, 30 mini games within the central loop so like they're trying to break down the monotony of like fish cook fish cook and you know with a bunch of other things you know yeah quest systems farming systems uh and, and they have little settings and areas for each of those things which is interesting but again it does you always know that it's like okay they're just adding something to the loop um yeah wheels within wheels bro which maybe uh, leads us to, if you're down to transition here, to Halls of Torment. Oh, we'll talk about Halls of Torment for sure. Okay, Halls I can start talking about, because you were talking yeah. about Dave, I can talk about Halls of Torment. So yeah. Halls of Torment is the latest in, I mean, by today, who knows, there could have been another one. Uh, it's the latest in uh, the vampire survivor butt genre. Um, so I would say this one is a vampire survivors, but it looks like Diablo one and, uh, you have, I think the biggest difference is that it's a two analog stick game versus a one analog stick game and, uh, enemies have kind of like attack cones. Uh, I don't know if there's actually a word for those things like attack areas. Like AOE, AOE signifiers, co- yeah. AOE. Um, there is a name for them, like damage indicators or something like that. Yeah. So that's kind of the pitch at a high level. And I mean, everyone knew this. It's sort of like a, 
you know, vampire survivors had to walk so everyone else could run. Vampire survivors felt like a draft of an idea. Um, they were able to take very far, but it's also not taken long at all for people to effectively like improve upon the formula in kind of meaningful ways. Um, and this is kind of the next in line of that. Um, uh, and it's, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I don't really, it's hard to talk about these things, right? Cause it's like, yes, the vampire survivor survivors formula still works. It's compelling. Uh, there's a loop. It's like all gameplay and there's sort of little downtime and it's, it's yeah, it's like a game that doesn't want you to say much about it. like it doesn't want there to be much to say about it you know it, it feels like this is where video games like sort of started like yeah. it feels a little bit like the er game where you could yeah. this could totally have come out on like like this could be someone's act razor or something from 30 years ago where they're like oh man if they just halls of torment that was such a good game we should have done something with that you know like it, it's got that kind of vibe and it's so weird because like there's so nothing exceptional about this game. Like I'm not playing it being like, Oh man, this is really pushing it over the line. It's just, it's still in that like zone of like full compulsion. It's like, yeah, it, it works. Uh, yeah. I guess one thing it has, I, I think, I mean, I think like Soulstone survivors had this bone razor minions obviously had this. Um, it has like persistent upgrades. So you're kind of upgrading stuff in the background through both like passive abilities, but also you can like wear armor and stuff. Yeah. They have a cool system of that, which is that you meet this guy who um, if you if you collect a piece of armor and then you take it to the well, you can send the piece of armor up to the surface and then start your next run with it. And so you there's this kind of like collection aspect um, where you're like sacrificing something during your run by giving uh, your piece of armor to the well. And then that becomes a persistent upgrade, which I think is kind of like a little twist on the formula. It gives you motive. It gives you like something to do during your run. There are a few of those kinds of like quests and quest givers within mm -hmm. the world itself, which is just like a neat little twist on it. And like to me, this I think this one works better than like a vampire survivors. I personally yeah. think I like it better than Brotato, but oh yeah, I haven't played Brotato. It's Brotato is like cool. It's yeah, it's very cartoony. It feels like a flash game. Like all these feel like flash games. Yeah. Which you know what? I've I've like really wished for games that were like flash games. Yeah, I mean, it's, I it's really those. cool. Like as much as we like to shit on vampire survivors and the fact that one of fucking BAFTA, like it's what's <laughs> sort of cool about something like this is that like it, it reminds me a lot of what happened when Battle Royales kind of hit or like it's a smart move to move where the sort of the money is at and you're getting like active game design experimentation, yeah. which is what we always talk about kind of sort of wanting. And you're getting a lot of people who are just sort of trying things and like some of them are good. Some of them don't move the needle forward, but they are like fun ways to experiment, experiment with something. And the fact that this sort of core idea of vampire survivors is like, both really easy to understand, but also like from a programming perspective, like speaking as a programmer is like very easy to implement. It means that you can sort of get this rapid experimentation that is not possible. I mean, like even like something like a battle royale, right? Like that's a lot of, you're like doing net code and like doing large levels. Like that shit's real hard. Um, but like being able to develop effectively a tower defense is like a really easy starting point where, you could like make a vampire survivors like as your first like tutorial video game. And so what it means is that we're getting a lot of rapid experimentation of people just putting out new games that are like this, that are just trying different things. And the other sort of crazy part to me is that the genre has proved like surprisingly resilient. Like obviously no one's like meeting vampire survivors highs, but like people are buying all the new ones. They're like people are buying Brotato. People are buying halls of torment. People are buying bone razor. Like people are buying this stuff. There's like clearly a demand here for that, which I think is also just like, I don't know that that is exciting as someone who cares about, you know, the culture and sort of progress of games and game design. It's like, Oh, people aren't just like, there's, there's enough interest in this sort of new thing that sustains a kind of cottage industry of games like it. 
um, which I think is cool, you know? And so it's, it is fun to play something like this that feels a little different and plays a little different. And it like, it's not going to change and the it, world. And, and it's not it comes in at a list. different price point too. These game, this game's like four bucks. Oh yeah. yeah you know, yeah. like that's in a that. big thing. Also vampire survivors was like $2. Yeah. So there's like a lot of space there for experimentation. And a lot of people, you know, it's not, it's not a huge investment to play this game. And you'd like, you know, you're going to get, you know, a couple hours of enjoyment out of it, which is just, who's going to say no to that? Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Granted, there's like only so much you can kind of say about these. Uh, and it seems like, is there any like crazy late game stuff? Like, I don't even, is this, does it go weird places? No, it doesn't, it doesn't go like any places that are like super unexpected. <laughs> it goes nowhere. It's Stanley. I mean, dungeon. it's just like you get, you get an end boss. Um, there's a few more like systems that they introduce. There's like a potion system and alchemy type stuff, but nothing crazy. Um, they introduce some new weapons and stuff, but there's no like nothing is defying your expectations of what you think is going to happen in the game, which yeah, is fine. Like looking which at is, like late game footage now and it's looks. Yeah, it's, basically it's what like you would this, expect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a final boss, like there's final bosses <laughs> of each level, which is cool. Like I, that's, that's dope. <laughs> okay, actually, I just see something insane. <laughs> Excuse me. There's just like, it looks like someone's got a firecracker going off in the middle of the level. You should pull the, pull this up on stream. Like DM it to you real fast. And jump to like uh, 12 minutes in. <laughs> One thing I don't like about this game, they'll say while Josh is pulling that up, is that the upgrades fucking suck. Uh, what was you the get time? Like, what timestamp? About like 12 minutes. I mean, you could also <laughs> just go later in the video. Yeah. Um, it, like there are, there are meaningful, up, I, don't, I mean, meaningful is a weird word, but like there are upgrades, you level up and you get an upgrade, right? Like, and some upgrades are in, like, I don't know what you would call these, but I would call them like meaningful where it's like, Oh, I have two spinning blades. Now I get three spinning blades or like I lightning now strikes in five different places instead of two different places or like stuff like that. And you get those sort of like, I don't know, every like five levels or something. I think I don't know what the actual number is, but you level up a lot in between that. And all those upgrades are just like, plus two block strength, plus six movement speed, plus 10% attack speed. Plus it's just like, I don't know. It's just boring. Cause for and this was, this was a, this is sort of a complaint that we have with loop hero where it's like, okay, we're doing loops and we're sort of making a lot of decisions all the time. So either make the decisions I'm making sort of meaningful or just like choose that shit for me or something versus making me have to choose between like 4% versus point two and one percent somewhere else like that's just not a fun thing to do um and this game has like a lot of that in between stuff i will say though uh -huh. in its say defense it. say in it. its defense i uh -huh. think a lot of that stuff just does end up becoming lip service basically or just like a mechanic that's just there to exist but there's something about the implementation of it in this game that is specifically gives you something more to think about based on the class that you're playing so sure yeah like i really enjoy that it's um like if you're playing as the archer like they have these it's like a bow and arrow and so like you want to focus more on on crit or, or attack speed so like it's I, I know it sounds simple but it gives me something to think about and like it's not something where i have to go on the internet and be like yeah what's the best build for the archer like you don't you can do that but I think they gives you space to like choose what kind of build you're going to go with in a specific game. And like they work in different ways and it's kind of interesting. Um, I know that the stats themselves feel simplistic, but you actually see them like bear out the moment that you pick them up. And yeah. it, it, it like, it brings it back to basics in a way that like immediately makes a difference in the way that you're playing the game, which I really like. I just, I just keep wishing like more game like this, this maybe I should do this, but like more games like this that are obviously so low budget and have such a low bar for art stuff. Like you could just do stuff like what Hades does, which is that this there's like combinatoric aspects to right. 
things where it's like now my blades have lightning and then, oh, I'm also doing rain. So now my lightning blades will actually electrocute the puddles of water that I put down. Like that's the type of stuff I wish these games had more of. Whereas instead it feels like you're just kind of like pushing bars up and even like the adding more blades thing is whatever. But like this, you know, per the description of the YouTube video we're watching, it says this is the most insane weapon and build in Halls of Torment. But like what's actually happening on screen is that it's the same skill or it's the same three skills that are each sort of buffed Just independently, yeah. but they have no interaction with each other. So it's just like, okay, I'm just doing more of the same. I, don't, it's like, I wish there was more sort of that like kind of productive interaction in a, in a roguelike style where you could actually sort of do builds, so to speak. That's a $15 um, game, Kyle. Maybe that's like You're a $7, about a $7, $7 game. game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Play Halls of Torment's $4. Okay. Do you want to talk about Exo Primal or do you want to start getting to questions? Because we uh, have I'm a lot of questions. We're talking about Diablo 4. Then we can talk about okay. questions. Okay. Okay. So, Josh, let, let me tell you something. What's gamers up? are mad again, man. Uh oh. This is today's Gamers Are Mad uh, <laughs> part of the podcast. Um, and I'm interested. I was not totally meaning to do this, but I realized this sort of starting with Hearthstone is actually a good preamble to uh, this discussion. Um, so there's a new Diablo patch that got announced. And part of this patch is that um, it sort of slows down a lot of abilities uh, as well as nerfing um, builds or nerfing specific affixes to weapons um, namely crit and vulnerable uh, that were kind of overrepresented in builds, so to speak. Um, you got any idea how the gamers reacted? Mad. You want to write a Reddit post for me real fast? Give me, give me, <laughs> give me your best off the cuff uh, four sentence post on Reddit for how you feel about this. You, you do, you do it. You do it. You want me to do it? Yeah. Okay. I'll just, let me just read one. Instead of adding complex and challenging aspiring content for players to strive for, increasing rewards and incentives to do such content over just regular ARPG like farming, they nerfed player power by 50% across the board. I suppose adding gold and magic fine percent modifiers to each tier of Nightmare Dungeon wasn't too hard as well. Rerolling items of the occultist is too expensive? Tough shit. You now have like three completely useless affixes for four or five classes to help you break your items even faster. Overworld is boring and meaningless past level five. Gotcha. Let's make Helltide chests expensive as fuck for no reason while maintaining the same terrible rewards. Sounds, yeah, sounds uh, par for the course. If you are truly unhappy with the state of the game, do as I and other players plan to do. Do not log on 20th or after. Not on Eternal either. If you log in, you prove them right. If you log in, your complaints mean nothing, and you may as well apologize and ask for forgiveness by buying the battle pass. The only thing Blizz cares about is money. The only metric that matters is, did people log in and play? Cool, then we can make them spend more money in their rage. It's just a bluff. So don't do it. Don't log in. Don't play. Let season one numbers be massively less than release. Let the white knight fanboys bait you and say, quote, Great, better servers for us, end quote. Cool. Hope they have fun eating Rod's colonoscopy aftermath. Wow. I mean, it's, I, think, I, think I don't think that. it's, no, I, don't, I think we get the idea. Um. <laughs> I, I feel, I, I feel for Blizzard in part because, not because like I'm a game developer or whatever, but they're sort of in a corner, which I feel like is that you have, 1% of players like on subreddits yelling about changes that they probably wouldn't notice if the patch notes weren't even posted. And like they posted this stuff and the subreddit has like exploded. <laughs> People are like so mad, but it's also one of these things where I don't, I, I don't know if we can talk about like the semiotics of patch notes or something, but when you read patch notes, right? Like as a gamer, you like go down and you sort of read them independently. And so when you see like nerfs after nerfs or whatever, 
you don't necessarily see like the whole picture of what's happening. So like Blizzard wants to make a good game. Like that's a, that's a thing they want to do. And they want to have people have a positive experience in the game, but like you can't balance a game for every single person who plays it. So like this game came out a month and a half ago and people are like getting mad about late end game shit. And like a lot of people that I know that are playing the game minus the fucking gamers on the bad end discord are like still working through the campaign and like haven't even touched in game content yet and probably may never touch in game content. They'll like play the fucking 30, 40 hour campaign and like put the game down maybe. <laughs> but like, it's one of these things where it's, it's like hard to think about patch notes as a concept because it's, you sort of assume you're under like the person who writes this stuff on the subreddit assumes that like they know what Diablo four is better than blizzard. Like, you know, that they're just the ones that really know what should be fixed. And even if they have stuff that like should be fixed, you know, there's a limited amount of time to work on stuff. And like people have working on Diablo as a job and people have like families and shit. <laughs> so you only have some number of hours to work on the game. And then it's like, what, what are we doing? You know? So it was just, a, it was an interesting thing to sort of see happen where it's just a cycle that is played out for fucking ever. It's just people, people like post stuff like game changes and then just gamers fucking explode. <laughs> if the number does not go up and number go down, gamer get mad. It's kind of the, the end result here because like, I don't think anybody would fucking notice or care. It makes me think of the, tell um, me about Hearthstone, like Josh, the riot <laughs> stuff with, um, mm -hmm. the whole Garen curve of like how like beginners are really good with yeah. Garen, but like the he falls off later because like he, like at higher levels because he's his kit's not as powerful blah blah blah, blah. Yeah. Like, you know how to use him better what, whatever um there's like accepted ways to play the game that exist online within the hardcore circles that like the average person playing diablo just simply doesn't know about right like if you yeah. pick up an item and you're like oh this is like 30 percent frost resistance blah, blah blah and then you know naturally you're thinking like the next thing you want like the next item you pick up oh it has 30 percent frost resistance so it's like oh i already have a lot of frost resistance i want poison resistance or like you know a certain item has plus 10 percent um physical damage blah 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 it's like oh that's pretty good oh i want 10 percent magic damage or wh whatever yeah. other stat there is and then you go online and they're like None of those stats matters. All you want is crit vulnerability. You know, all those items suck. Yeah. yeah. All, like, and it's like for those people who built their builds with that information, which, yeah, that is the meta and that is like the optimal way to build your character. Of course, they're going to be pissed off when those stats get nerfed. But like for the average person playing the game for whom these mechanics have just gotten a lot more intuitive, they can act, they, the stats that they're actually building actually matter now. It's, it's, it has a different impact on them. Right. And, yeah. At the end of the day, if those people are benefiting, you know, if millions of those people are benefiting and like a few thousand of the others are benefiting, like, is it really a bad change at the end of the day? So it's like they're making these decisions like why else would you nerf something in a single player game, right? Or in a PVE yeah. game? Like, yeah, maybe you want um, to give the player like inflate the content a bit, but at the same time, like. You, your intention is probably to improve the experience for some se like segment of players and probably not an insignificant one. So it's like, well, it's it also so because weird like, too, right? Because like people who play these games and who get really powerful and melt stuff will be the first people to say that the game is boring at that point. They'll be like, Oh, I just, it's just, so, I just press these two buttons. Everything dies. Like it's so boring or whatever, yeah. you know? And that's, and no one will admit that like getting, there is it's such this weird like monkey's paw thing because you sort of want to get there and that's like where you're trying to go but at the same time when you get there it makes the game really boring right um which is like a weird thing and so like how do you kind of reckon with that which is like a it's been like a genre thing forever and i think that what they're you know part of what they're trying to do is saying like no like we're gonna make the i mean i, I don't i don't even know if i could comparatively say how this patch notes differ from the previous build or whatever, but it's like, it might make the game a little slower and stuff's like a little bit harder. Okay. Right. You know, the, your, your, your experience, like someone was like kind of venting about an item on the subreddit where they're posting it's before and after stats and an item was had a lot of crit and vulnerability and the percentages dropped like 15% or 
or something. And everyone was like, you know, upvoting this person, like a circle jerk or whatever. But it's like, dude, you're not going to like, you, like, you're just not going to notice that. Like, you're just really not going to see like, oh man, like I can really feel that 15% difference in my like gameplay of my build where I'm already working with numbers in like the thousands and I'm already overkilling stuff anyways. Like, it's not like you're going to really get into a place where that is like going to break your game or whatever. But yeah, it's like you just get a lot of like baby's first bad patch notes with all these big games, um, which is it's just funny. It just keeps happening. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, if you're listening to this podcast, a lot of these changes probably don't affect you. Um, but then they, 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 or they if really they do, like they don't meaningfully affect these. probably most people who play the game. Yeah. Anyway, Anyways, carry I thought that on. was funny. <laughs> Diablo 4, it's still fun. I'm still playing it. I'm still kind of working through it. It's fun to play. Yeah, it's like really easy to pick up and just like do a couple dungeons. They really streamline it like later in the game where when you're doing nightmare dungeons and stuff, you just like fire up your sigil and then you can auto teleport to the dungeon and just do it. And it's like scaled up. So it's just like a little get some dungeons in, you know, get yeah. some gear, chill, yeah, man. kill, slay some demons, slay some demons. You want to do questions? Yes, yeah, do a couple questions. Do live service models inherently create this antagonistic relation between developer and player? Maybe not the generic player, but the game's quote community. Yes. <laughs> I think especially at scale. I think something interesting with something like Path of Exile is that I think that game has effectively like filtered out everybody except like the sweats and no lifers. So that there's an effectively like ideological uniformity between who the developers are making the game for and like who's left. But that also means that their potential audience is like really small compared to like Diablo is trying to target like normies and like wants to appeal to normies is to be that game for them. And so like doing a live service game at that scale, I think is really hard. And you will, I think you will sort of implicitly not necessarily develop an antagonistic relationship with the developer, but that there will be infighting about like what the thing should be with, if there's a presumption that it will be updated, people are going to want different things from those updates. Um, I think a lot about like the, the chart that was put out for win rate percentages for super smash brothers melee over time, which is like so interesting to me to think about and like, just kind of, I don't know, muse on, which is that fact that, I think like current logic would maybe not admit, but potentially say uh, that should a game never get patched, it's meta will become stale. And this is something we talk about all the time on bad end. Um, so what you would think is that with that same logic, a game like super smash brothers melee, that is an offline game never got patches, whatever, that there would be the best heroes or the best, I don't know what you call them. Are they even called something in Smash? Smashers? Characters. What's a Smash Bros. Char character? Yeah, I don't know. I guess, yeah. You would assume that like, okay, the best Smash Bros. character is the best Smash Bros. character. But like what happens is when you let a game just sit, the meta changes. So like in the Smash Bros. Melee, like win rate chart, the heroes are like, or like the characters are all over the place. Like they, they're moving up and down the win rates all the time. Um, because like, there's no, there's no expectation of change. So people are sort of forced to find new ways inside the same systems. And I think that does mean that things could potentially get stale. Like, I don't know if an ARPG like Diablo would not, not get stale because of just the way, like it's so much more about, numbers whereas smash bros is much more about execution and like kind of movement i don't know but I, I think there is something sort of intrinsic in this notion that like if you're expecting updates from someone and you're appealing to a large audience like there's going to be friction um so a lot of what you do i think is just damage control i also uh, think yeah there's just something massive built into the gap between providing a good versus providing a service like the expectations for each thing are like drastically different. Like if I'm yeah. giving you a $60 game, then like, that's what like Diablo two was a good Diablo yeah. four is a service. 
even though like Diablo 4 is still a $60 game because it is seen as a service, the expectations for that are drastically different and the expectations are different even if people like kind of envision them as being the same, right? Because yeah. like that's the whole thing. Like the, people are talking about how bad these patch notes are and how bad this patch is, but you know, if we if we were talking about Diablo 2, 2 it would be like a completely different thing because it's just like it's this it's a $60 game and like this they're they're giving you new content to to mess around with but because like the, some of the mechanics have been altered people are upset about it so i i mean i think there's a lot of things that change when you make a different when you go from providing a good to providing a service <laughs> but that's like just an expectations of what games are nowadays like you need more ways to keep the game going and to keep people playing it and to maybe sell some cosmetics and i don't i don't yeah. think that that's like I, I don't know how bad of a thing that that is um, but there's definitely going to be some people who like for whom their expectations are not going to be met. Um, but I think that's just like the, the, the trade-off. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like, do you want a game that never gets updated or do you want a game that gets updated periodically? Or, you know, that's a, that's a sort of an individual decision. Right. I think the other hard part too, right. Is that like, I think that all gamers would probably say games as a service as a thing fucking sucks, but also, most gamers would also say that like they want updates for games that they like to play. <laughs> so right. it's like, like I'm going to launch Cantata and if it goes well, which hopefully it will, like people are going to want content updates for it. I'm not saying Cantata is like a game as a service, but there's a way to articulate the concept of like perpetually working on content updates for a game that's successful as like games as a service or like friend of the show slash part of superculture. Gareth has, I mean, they released Citizen Sleeper and then has pushed out like four content updates for it over the course of six months or something, a year. Right. Is Citizen Sleeper a game as a service? No, if we're being acting in good faith, but like there's a way to articulate that strategy as a game as a service thing. So, yeah. It's weird. You know it when you see it. You know it. <laughs> uh, other questions? Uh, we'll work backwards. This one's sort of maybe relevant. There was a Twitter thread recently that went viral uh, as much as a tweet can go viral these days. Um, asking people what controversial game design opinion they had. Uh, Josh, do you have a controversial game design opinion? I'll need time to think about this. Most of my opinions are not that controversial, man. And if, if they are, I feel like I've already mentioned them on this podcast. Well, this is for the record. If you were to reply to this tweet, nothing, nothing's coming to mind right now. I think my my con most controversial opinion is that games are really bad at telling stories. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if it's controversial. I think my I think maybe my game controversial game design opinion is that flat like two D side scrolling like fighting and action games that work on multiple planes all fucking suck. I like, there's just no good way to do that. Like Streets of Rage style or like Castle Crashers, that sort of like 2D side scrolling mm. with depth. I think that yeah. fucking sucks. It has never felt good. It, the never, brawler. It, it looks cool, but it feels like shit to play because it's always so impossible to tell where you're at. Uh, and I, I actually, think it's bad. <laughs> I think I kind of agree with that. Yeah. For, for as much as I love like Ninja Turtles and games that fall within that category, it always actually feels like you're, feels so this would just bad. be better as something else, dude. Like just make this a different type of game. Yeah, like, like moving like back in diagonal just feels weird. Like you, your brain like just doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. Like in sort of trying to understand where someone's at. Just, yeah. Not for me. Yeah. Not for me. There's like crafting sucks. That's like a, <laughs> relatively controversial one i guess it's like oh, but it's like all these opinions crafting. like it's caveats like it's not universal like in in some cases it's you know are you trying to have a balanced opinion in a twitter reply thread <laughs> too bad it's elon's world now bitch. not anymore yeah <laughs> next question what does it take for y'all to want to dig into a game's lore and do you ever find yourself invested in a game that way before even playing it Mm. 
Not a big lore guy. <laughs> Maybe that's my controversial game design yeah, opinion. Yeah, but it's sucks. like, <clears throat> all that being said, I am not the kind of person to get super into lore, but I'm the kind of person to get super into thematics mm. and how that ties in with the, the gameplay and design of a game. Like that does a lot more for me than any lore stuff typically. Um, I'm not one to like sit there and read all the articles that are like left on the ground in a game. Um, but I, you know what, I've been trying to like interact th with that stuff a little bit more recently, kind of give myself a little bit more juice to enrich get, the, the get combat. Into what's the, the background of the Halls of Torment lore? <laughs> the dude, the, the Halls of Torment, like when you read, when you pick something up and read it or something, it's got this like really crappy voice acting. It's like, yeah. Hello, traveler. You've made it to the halls of dormant. It's, it's, it's really like, like really we old have school. Diablo at home. Like that's, yeah, yeah. that's the vibe. <laughs> it's definitely going for that. But um, yeah. I, I've been trying to use, do more of that. Like where I'll read the notes and like actually pay attention to what's happening in side quests and stuff like that. And some of them have some good stuff going on. But I feel like a lot of that stuff is about presentation, you know? A lot of lore is about presentation. Like um, audio logs, remember how long audio logs existed where you couldn't have them playing in the background? Yeah, you should just sit there. You just sit there and just like listen to it. And like if you left the menu, it would like stop playing. I was like, this is not, what? Or, like more. I have to like sit down and read yeah, you gotta, five like, pages? Your, your lore diet. I'm like in the enemy base and you want me to sit down and read a 10 page article like that's breaking my immersion, man. Just like put it, shove it in there somewhere else, dude. I I think maybe that's the thing is that like I feel like a lot of lore just isn't implemented well still. They haven't found a way to do it that is like seamless with the gameplay. I think like in Disco Elysium it works because like that whole game is just reading anyway. Yeah. So like when you're reading a little bit more, that's like that's to be expected but a lot of games still haven't figured out like environmental storytelling is like a total meme a skeleton in a toilet <sighs> spray paint blood you know let me out written in blood on the walls i feel like i'm such a bad uh participant i don't know i'm i'm, I'm very annoying in this regard because i just said that like games and stories suck which i think is still true but like the lore is like what ends up keeping me in a game like looking at something like Dave the Diver, I'm like, this game is not going to say anything interesting. I'm going to have like a sort of fun, really like game loopy feel buzz in the back of my head when I play this game. But like, it's not going to give me something interesting that is able, I can like latch on to. Um, but like, I think that's lore is what elevates something like Dark Souls in that regard or like Bloodborne. Or like they could just be really fun combat games, but like the idea that the story and the sort of lore of the world is intertwined with just like every element of those games makes them feel like so, so much more than kind of the sum of their parts. But and also, uh, this, I mean, to be fair, Dark Souls is like the best lore possible. Like it's like yeah. the pinnacle of lore in games. Yeah. Um, and I think like a big part of it is that they don't they don't write like 30 page articles about every single thing in there. It's just like an item description that's like this rumor has it this once belonged to something, something like, you know, the dark warrior Dude. of the underworld. <laughs> What's you know, really like, funny. Do you remember like the discussion around the Dark Souls items like when it first started? Because it was like these items have these like just mysterious descriptions that allude to like blah, blah, blah or whatever. And like, I think where we're at now better represents that statement. Cause if you go back and read like dark souls items, they're literally like the King who wore this slayed this dragon. Like it's, <laughs> it's like so plain where mm. it's kind of, it's kind of staggering. You're like, I don't, this used to feel way more mysterious. And now it's like, Oh no, it's just the stories and the item descriptions, mm. which now like just everyone sort of does. Um, but it was really funny to like, cause now like it's way more, even in like Elden ring or something, it's, like much more sort of things aren't as explicit, I guess I would say, but in dark souls one, it's like pretty on the nose. No, I just think that lore is like 
it's one of those things that like, if it's done well, it can like be the thing that makes the game, but it's so easy just to do really poorly. This was actually like, uh, for Cantata, Roy, the, the writer, um, was like very anti lore, uh, and just didn't want to write any lore, <laughs> maybe both for like time commitment, but also just like, we don't need it. He's like, just we're doing the story. Like that's the thing. And like, all the stuff and the ways things look and the ways people look is sort of like lore like that versus having, you know, some book that says that this tank was, and we might still add some of that stuff. But really initially he was like, we don't know. He's like, lore is like, lore is one way to do narrative. Um, and I think it it maps well to like network infrastructure like the internet because if stuff is opaque you can like find stuff it feels like you're kind of digging and exploring but we, we sort of actively chose not to do lore in cantata uh for better or for worse for realizing I like it was sort that. of a choice like yeah the the idea of there being some like underlying truth behind an explanation behind every single yeah. thing that's happening is like i i i'm not really into that <laughs> and i think souls is great because like it never it's like a horror movie that like never shows you the monster like dark like souls never shows you exactly what's going on there's like always more subtext underneath it and there's probably at the end of the day like no full like there's no full explanation for like everything that's going on which is good it's like do you want everything to be a, a picture book where it's like this happened and this happened and then the king killed the dragon and the dragon became decayed and lives underground and now you went and killed it and it's like everything is explained but like it's so much more fun when you're just like what is this thing and then you read something and it's like this thing could be this like yeah wow that's why that's wild to think about that this may maybe came from here but like you don't really know at the end of the day it's just like endlessly more interesting and that's like what lore is for me and that I feel like games should tap into more. Um, it's just such like a risk, right? It's like easier writing all your own lore allows like the company to control the narrative and blah, blah, blah. It's something that we see a lot. I've seen a lot in K-pop too, where it's like, they want to make every video like, Oh, the lore, like this person was killed in a car crash three music videos ago. And now there's like this deep lore. Yeah. Oh my God. I saw this um, thing today about One Piece. It was like a reel of like just some of the jokes from One Piece. And one of them is like, oh, Luffy, like, aren't you cold? It's minus 10 degrees out out here. And then he like looks over at them and then he's like, oh, my God. He realizes it's cold because they like brought it up. And he's like, it's so cold. And it's just it's just like a funny slapstick joke moment, which like One Piece is full of these just like little bits and funny jokes. And then, like, in the comments, it was like, oh, I like the theory that, like, Luffy gets cold later because he's made out of rubber. Like, his characters, he's a rubber man. He's made of rubber. Yeah, yeah. And, like, they're like, oh, I like that he, the idea that he gets cold because he's made of rubber and it, he doesn't notice till later. It's like, that makes the joke less funny. Just, it's like less it's funny, just, yeah. it's just a funny joke. Like, there doesn't have to be an explanation for it. Like, in fact, like, that's the opposite of what makes good comedy is like explaining the joke. That's like the first thing that you learn. It's like, if you have to explain your joke afterwards, it's not as good. Like, just let it be funny. Let it be mysterious. Let it be good. It's Tumblr, man. <laughs> Tumblr and Vox. And to be fair, like, when I was younger, the idea of there being some easy explanation for everything that happens i would have loved that totally yeah oh what the heck happens at the end of this movie end of this movie explained oh yes please give that to me on a platter (laughs) yeah but it's like it's endlessly less interesting than just like this thing made me feel crazy because i had no clue what was happening and i had to develop my own theory in my head that's how i feel about lore (laughs) and that's why i agree with roy's approach in cantata Last question. Well, I guess before the last question, which is a bigger yeah, I gotta question. head out pretty soon. Have you last ever got one. invested in a game's lore before you played it? Mm, no, probably not. I feel like I, I read a so. lot of early WoW lore, like when WoW was like first coming out, like a lot of the Blizzard stuff. I feel like I'm, I definitely remember reading like OG Blizzard lore about like the Warcraft universe. <laughs> And StarCraft, yeah. actually. I, like, read StarCraft lore more than I played StarCraft 1. 
I think a lot of people these days kind of err toward the opposite side of that, of like wanting to know the least amount about the lore so that it can like be a surprise to them or whatever. <laughs> Properly absorb it in the intended fashion. Yeah, yeah. Last question. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this so it doesn't become a one-hour discussion. <laughs> I posted an article in the Discord, which you should join, patreon.com slash badend. It's for all the best discussion of video games you could ever want. Um, I posted an article by uh, Rob Horning that was about user input tracking on like Facebook. Uh, and someone asked, related to that, how do you think companies are using information from tracking input from people playing games? Do you think this information is mostly used for marketing purposes or can you imagine other uses for tracking gamer input? Uh, so I know for a fact that people track the shit out of everything and there's not necessarily like uh, much use in selling that data because it's so specific. A lot of it's like, like if you're if we're thinking about Diablo 4, like Blizzard definitely has a heat map somewhere internally that shows them where players die the most. And so it's up to them to figure out like where, if they're trying to make that more or less or whatever. It's the same thing with like League of Legends, like Valve or with Dota and Riot with League. Like all like and and indie games like a lot of people there's third party sort of tracking stuff that tracks like not necessarily raw input but like just general activities in the game like for Cantata we we do we I guess yeah we do some of this stuff where it's basically just seeing I guess we sort of do it through achievements but like see when people finish chapters so like if people finish what's like the highest level chapter most people finish or something. Most of, most of it goes back to like feedback for like design and whatever, but also there's been, I've seen really a lot of really interesting GDC talks about like, like doing performance monitoring where like people are basically doing monitoring of performance on machines. And so if all, if, if a lot of players seem to encounter a slowdown in this specific area of the map, it means that like the geometry is too dense or blah, blah, blah. So it's a lot of like bouncing and tweaking of a game. Um, so like, I mean, yeah, it happens. It's been happening for decades. Um, but data I don't is think, king, like, baby. Yeah, data is king. I don't know, like to the degree that like the, the article, one thing, I, the thing that was sort of notable about the article I posted was that uh, Facebook would track things that you put in the, like the, I don't know what it's called, like the box where you say what's on your mind or whatever. The post field. <laughs> Who's got plans January 6th? Sim. <laughs> But it will, it will, Facebook is actually tracking what uh, you didn't actually post. So if you wrote something in that box, oh. um, Facebook would know what you wrote that. Uh, and so they were doing sort of engineering activities around trying to basically like they, they assume that anything that you didn't post or chose not to post was a loss for them. So they wanted to try to incentivize posting as much as possible to reduce the amount of stuff that you could have said but didn't. I don't know what the, I mean, you could sort of do the same thing with games and kind of to the same ends. Um, but like you can get a lot of games are really interesting compared to something like social media because like you can like open a, like Facebook or Twitter and scroll to like look at stuff and maybe like not even move your mouse just sort of scroll. And that's sort of like a, I don't know, signal poor activity. Like you're not, you're not interacting with things necessarily enough to like derive a ton of value from it. But like games are like a huge string of like constant input. Yeah. So they, they generate like a ton of data. Like you log into Diablo and Blizzard is totally tracking. Like I, I really actually a really good example of this is um in Breath of the Wild slash Tears of the Kingdom, Heroes Path Mode is effectively what what Nintendo was tracking already for metrics and QA data that they very likely just turned into a gameplay feature where they were yeah. saying that like, they're literally yeah. tracking where you were in the whole game at every single point. And like they were 100% using that data for like QA and stuff when the game was being developed to make sure that people were like visiting all parts of the map or whatever. And so like, you know, very you, dev tool debug. It's totally dev. Yeah. yeah it's like, and so, I mean, it's cool to see it too. Or it's the same thing with like, um, ascend was one of those. You played ascend. <laughs> no, 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 no. The ability in, in tears of the kingdom where you go up. Oh, oh. Floor. 
Yeah. Wait, what is, wait, what is the thing? Like the thing where you go up to the floor and yeah. then you go through. That was like something, a tool that they used in like Breath of the Wild to Oh, to say like, I see, you're, you're like, you're like, I want to get to the top of the mountain. Like, okay, just it's jump like, up. But what if I oh, could just yeah. do that in the game? Yeah. And then they put it in the game. But yeah, so companies 100% track like everything you do inside of a video game. They don't like sell it to Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> I mean, they might, but like... <laughs> I don't know what use Cambridge Analytica would necessarily have from like your Diablo four play history versus like what products you liked on Instagram. You know, there's, there's value, there's sort of external extrinsic value to that data. Yeah. Chat logs would be, be probably like the only thing that could possibly be like an incriminating. <laughs> this person keeps saying LFG over and over and over. I think they're looking for Groupons. So keep saying LFG. You want to wrap it up? Yeah, sure. Thanks for listening. We're Bad End Podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Um, if you have any questions, let us know. We'll address them in the next episode. But uh, in the meantime, you can find us on social media, Twitter. Uh, our handle there is Bad End Podcast. Uh, gmail.com. Our Gmail is at Bad End Pod. Uh, you can rate us and review us on iTunes. Check us out on Patreon if you want to be part of the Bad End community. Some of the coolest people around. I'll be hanging out with some of them tonight. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. We're part of Superculture. Go check out Bullet Points Monthly, Heterotopias, Funland, Superculture Review. All great little projects. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Later. Bye. <laughs>